Welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air, episode 44. Coming to you from our world headquarters in San Francisco. Welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air. I'm Victor Gaxiola. And I'm Eli Miniker. All right, so get your bingo cards ready because we've got a lot of things to say. We're really excited, yeah. Eli, because we uh, had the opportunity, as you know, I was out in Philadelphia uh, not too long ago. Had the uh, good fortune of actually sitting down with Chris Johnson, who's the uh, private client group marketing consultant for uh, Jannie Montgomery Scott, and, uh, and also sat down with the uh, financial advisor, J.P. Cummins. Excellent. So it was a twofer, you know, so I took advantage of being in the city of brotherly love to sit down (laughs) with both Chris and uh, JP, and we hope you uh, enjoy the show. Deep in the heart of the city of brotherly love here in Philadelphia. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time. No, I appreciate the invite. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So I know you've been listening to the podcast. So you're probably pretty familiar with the format. And so first of all, on behalf of myself and Eli, I just want to thank you for, for listening. Um, as you know, you can ask a question anytime. We'll answer it on air. And uh, But before we get going, why don't you share a little bit of uh, background on yourself, your current role, and then uh, we'll take it from there. Sure. So I this is... I'm Chris Johnson. I am a, as the, as my business card reads, private client group marketing consultant. Um, I just like to say I'm a marketing consultant. And, and, and what I do is I work with um, our financial advisors mm-hmm. um, on not only their overarching marketing campaigns throughout the course of the year, uh, but also uh, with any advisor here at Chani who wants to be active on social, mm-hmm. being active. Um, could be as small as having a LinkedIn profile um, or using um, hearsay social to its full potential on, on um, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. We're not at, at Google Plus not, just not yet. yet okay. <laughs> well, you're not alone as far as not being on Google Plus, but I, I think you hit up the you know the trifecta, as I like to call it, the Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, by far the most widely used of the social platforms. Um, so. Tell us a little bit about what brought you into the business. So what were you doing before joining Janny? So I've been at Janny for a year and a half or so now prior to Janny and prior to the, the great world of financial services. I worked um, at, a, at a radio station, at a sports talk radio station. So um, podcasting, I feel back at, I feel like I'm back at home. Well, good. Um, so back in the, in the old days. Uh, but I saw an opportunity at Janney and, and mm-hmm. needed to um, take myself out of my comfort zone of, of sports talk uh, <laughs> and saw a great opportunity. And, and it's the best decision outside of marrying my wife, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, best decision I've ever made is joining Janney. It's an unbelievable place to work with unbelievable people and advisors. Well, and I would say that it kind of breaks the mold. I mean, it's not surprising to me how Janney has really embraced digital technology because if anyone has ever visited your offices, and I was pointing this out once again when I got here, it is not your stoic, dark, mahogany desk office. And I mean, it's more, I'd say more akin to what we're used to in the West Coast in San Francisco with this 
uh, open windows, beautiful views, hardwood floors. It's very clean, very modern. So I think it probably speaks a little bit to your culture, you know, in the group here. So that's very refreshing. And I think most people like to think or the more traditional way that they perceive financial services is this you know, dark, right, bookcasey looking place, right? Well, thank you. I mean, our, <laughs> our team, uh, I'm sure, will appreciate that comment. So working in sports radio, uh, pretty exciting. I guess you're a big fan locally uh, for huge Philadelphia. Huge fan. It was a, at, at that time, it was a dream come true to mm-hmm. work right alongside some of the uh, some of the sports talk hosts that I grew up listening to and couldn't mm-hmm. believe I was in meetings somewhat um, directing them as to, as to some ideas for contesting and marketing mm-hmm. uh, their shows. Yeah, and so I'm guessing that that experience is now transcended into the work that you're doing here at Janney. Yeah, although although completely different fields mm-hmm. um, or industries, I'd say. Uh, they're a similar type role in, in marketing, advertising, promotions, just trying to... I feel that I've brought a different perspective mm-hmm. to the industry because I didn't grow up mm-hmm. um, in a in a financial services family and and didn't wasn't in in financial services right out of college. So I uh, bring some different ideas, I think, mm-hmm. um, as to how um, how some some teams and advisors can can market themselves. So not having actually come from the industry, I think you can provide a very objective you know observation of the industry in general. And so in the year and a half that you've been here. Um, what would you say are some of the general observations as it relates to the financial services industry and their relationship with technology? Um, so I'd, I'd start with how I see the financial services industry, and it's, it's, it's such relationship-based that it fits in so well, or that social media fits in so well mm-hmm. with the industry. Uh, because it's not, it's not always about specific products. Um, but it's about your relationship, whether it's, it's um, your relationship one-on-one talking to somebody can carry over uh, to LinkedIn, um, to Twitter, to Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, your, your brand as, as your own individual business um, is, is you want someone to feel good about your, uh, your business here at Janney and your team. Mm-hmm. Well, you say feel good insofar as I think we can all agree, and I think that this is one of the best selling points of people adopting a, a social or a digital strategy is that it is a high trust relationship business. And people like doing business with, with folks that they know, mm-hmm. like, and trust. And I think that uh, social allows you know an additional channel for people to illustrate um, not only their thought leadership, but how they add value and really helps foster and build rich relationships. Um, what was, in your opinion or in your observation, one of the, the main catalysts that really led to the development of your social program? So the social, our, our social program was was in place before mm-hmm. I got here. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was great. I, I was thrilled to see that there was a social program here when when um, when I joined Janney. Um, I saw somewhat early on that it probably wasn't the right social program that mm-hmm. it. it um, in theory, it was going to work, but we needed some different uh, outputs mm-hmm. um, to get there. So that, and that's where um, I started researching our options and saw that um, saw what hearsay, uh, what value hearsay could bring to our advisors. And 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 um, somebody somebody in our department always says, "You don't know what you don't know." Mm-hmm. Um, 
our advisors at the time thought that the, the previous platform was great, but that's because they didn't know um, what else was out there and what social media could look like mm-hmm. um, given the right partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and it's an, it's an evolved process. I mean, the fact is that the platforms themselves, the social networks themselves, continuously reinvent <laughs> themselves, as you know, and uh, they make changes and improvements and I think one of the benefits of working, I mean, this is my, very self-serving, I guess, but one of the benefits of working with uh, someone like Hearsay Social or working with us is the fact that we're keeping abreast of these changes and we're making adjustments so that the individual who is using our platform only really needs to know our platform in order to be able to communicate on the remaining platforms, mm-hmm. whether they're using Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Google+, right. that provides that access. And um you know, the core to what we're trying to develop, and I would be curious if you're getting this feedback from the folks in the field, is we're really trying to build efficiencies. Uh, we know that a uh, financial advisor or producer's time is, is very precious. And so wanting to make the best use of that time with the scheduling features so that they can actually take advantage of having a presence but not necessarily having to spend too much time, you know, doing that. Uh, minutes before um, we started podcasting here mm-hmm. today. I was on the phone walking an advisor through how to connect to how to how to set up his hearsay workspace. Showed him how to publish content right out of our library and he asked how many Janny advisors are, are using hearsay. I said, well, around 150 and that's of 750 or so advisors. He mm-hmm. said, if it was that easy for me to publish this content, why isn't everybody using it? <laughs> I said, well, you can walk around your office and tell everybody. Be, be our spokesperson. Tell people how easy it is to use. Um, so it, it really is a, a great platform to and, and so easy to use um, as long as you can dedicate that, even if it's 15 minutes to half an hour a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, is all I'm asking for here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love hearing those, like, aha, uh-huh, you know, those aha uh-huh stories, those aha uh-huh moments where people come to understand that it, it really isn't all that difficult to use and to be effective. But I think the other aha moment I often talk about this is that, you know, being a financial advisor and being, I think, a successful financial advisor, you have to be good at relationships. I mean, you really do have to be good at being able to relate with people, share information. It's how they build their business. And, you know, the further along you are in your career, the, the, the more laser focused you can be as far as your niche markets. And I really think social lends itself to be able to find that community you know for them and so it's it's always refreshing to me when you talk to an advisor and they tell you how I was doing this all along I mean I have been mm-hmm. social I just never actually used it through this network and so it's fine discovering that they can use these digital networks and it and allows them to scale I guess that's that's what I'm driving at is you know if they've got a great piece of content they're not just sharing it with one individual they're sharing it with everybody they're connected to Right, right. And then hopefully they're sharing it with others. Mm-hmm. So speaking of content, I mean, how, how is Janny leveraging content uh, for the advisors to connect with their clients or potential prospects? We have a, we have a very robust content library mm-hmm. in that we are adding 10 or so pieces of content every single day wow. to the library. Um, and it's a combination of, of our Janny content, so our our analysts not research pieces but our but but their thought leadership um, and then also anytime they're mentioned in mentioned or, or quoted and 
Bloomberg, Reuters, mm -hmm. uh, on Wall Street. We'll, we'll add all of that content into the library. Uh, it can it can look overwhelming, but with all uh, so many of our advisors are are trying to um, target different markets in different areas, and some are really focused on what this analyst is saying, and some are really focused on what this other analyst are saying is mm -hmm. saying. So what what we're trying to do is make it as easy to use for everybody. So we put everything in there and let the advisors choose what they what they want to choose. Wow, 10, 10 pieces every day. So it's a <laughs> it's so it's that Janny content mm -hmm. that it's also uh, some industry pieces. So mm -hmm. we'll find pieces on US News and World Report and sure. USA Today and Forbes on on retirement and on social security or long-term care or uh, the variety of, of topics that our advisors are, are talking about mm -hmm. every single day. Um, of lists and, and pictures are always um, get the highest engagement, of yeah, course. Mm -hmm. um, so those are two-thirds of our strategy. The, the, the last piece is really that human interest content, whether it's motivational quotes or this day in history or recipes or different holiday things. We, we put five or ten different pieces of content leading up to St. Patrick's Day for mm -hmm. different recipes and, mm -hmm. and how St. Patrick's Day started and different traditions. And, and uh, I, we want our advisors to use some of that content so their clients, prospects, centers of influence can see more of, of who they are, mm -hmm. um, that they're not just not just the, the financial person. And that's, like I said, that's so important, you know, from a, from a best practice standpoint of being able to, you know, strike a balance of the, the type of content that is generated by Jenny to get out to the audience. Um, but you can't let it be all that. So I'm glad that you've got these third-party, you know, mm -hmm. uh, stories, if you will, that are within the financial services industry, but they're coming from these validated sources. Right. And then the other part, which is the part that makes us sound more human. It's, yeah. uh, you know, your Jenny advisor sharing you the best, you know, uh, corned beef and hash, right, recipe right. for, for St. Patrick's Day. And, and that's where we see that it's getting the engagement, right? Um, we often are, are tasked or are challenged, if you will, with trying to analyze what the business value is of social. And uh, we're a social company, so obviously we live it, we breathe it. A lot of our employees are excellent, you know, at using the tools in order to connect with friends and family. Um, how are you analyzing, you know, the business value of your digital strategy? We're testing a lot of things mm -hmm. right now uh, before we can really dig in and analyze. We've we've been up and running on the Hearsay Social Dashboard since uh, since February, so it's it's only been what three months or so, mm -hmm. um, we don't feel that that's enough data for us, especially uh, since the first month, maybe there were only 50 users on it and, and they weren't posting that often because they were still getting used to the platform. So I'd say by beginning to middle of Q3, we'll, we'll start narrowing down mm -hmm. um, and really drilling into the analytics and seeing, um, as everybody wants to know, what's working. Mm -hmm. um, but it, we'll have short case studies here and there of, of um, if I'm talking to an advisor, I will ask them, uh, knowing that they're a, a social user, I'll ask them um, what types of results they've seen. And if, if, it's, if it's an advisor connecting to a friend of a friend on LinkedIn and then seeing that that friend of a friend change jobs and, and reach out and congratulate them and um, 
I hope to start a conversation about a uh, 401k options, uh, then that's great. So mm -hmm. I, I've had a few of those, um, a few of those stories already. I've had someone reach out to just a, a variety of centers of influence um, just to meet for coffee mm -hmm. for 20 minutes, half an hour, see how their businesses could help each other, mm -hmm. uh, which turned into some accounts uh, brought over just from that, again, relationship management um, and networking and just in, and meeting people who um, it could have taken three or four years to run into at right. a cocktail party. Right. So all these, you know, the stories that you're getting from the mm -hmm. field, which are, you know, I think in some cases are a better catalyst to get others to embrace it, right. more so than the actual numbers. Um, and it sounds like, you know, as you said, I think your assessment and wanting to give it time for these 150 plus users to actually have uh, some more numbers to go back to and take a look. And it kind of uh, reinforces on itself. So I know that uh, you periodically, the advisor community will get together um, at Jani. It was here in January for the mm -hmm. Elite FA conference. Uh, and that was a, a really great place to just kind of present and talk to the uh, advisors, find out uh, how they're using social, how they're going to use social. Uh, and then you have an audience of, of users who embrace it immediately and they understand the value. So how do you help along that next group, which is the group that might be a little bit on the fence as to whether or not they want to implement this into their business? So that next group probably has some sort of LinkedIn profile, whether it's current and up-to-date, probably not, um, but it, 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 it could be. Some pieces are there, enough that they, they understand and they know what LinkedIn is. They, they go into LinkedIn from time to time. They see their connections, posting articles, posting, um, posting different pieces of content, mm -hmm. uh, and they're not quite sure how that content got there. Is that paid? How did... How come I see um, an, an attorney that I work with? He's always publishing content, and they're and they're, and they're relevant, interesting stories to the time of year. Um, oh, and then I'll, of course, tell them that yes, they can do that too, <laughs> through um, compliantly, of course, through the hearsay social platform. And mm -hmm. and most will sign right up, but it's that it's talking through and showing um, what they can do, mm -hmm. um, and and if. And those that don't have the social media presence, we'll also use it. I also look at it as a not a line of a line of defense, maybe, mm -hmm. where I'll I'll sit with them and I'll type their name into a Google search and mm -hmm. see that maybe their website comes up towards the top, and then it's then there's nothing else about them. Mm -hmm. So then if I'll type in an advisor who has a Facebook business page, has a Twitter profile, has a, a, an up-to-date LinkedIn profile, and has their website, that whole first page of Google, of the Google search results, is now all about that advisor, mm -hmm. which, is, which is exactly where you want to be. Exactly. Well, and I think it speaks to you know, the way people are actually buying products and services today is how much of that process, we talk about the buyer's journey, mm -hmm. has to do with online research. Um, and I think we've gotten to a point and I've had this discussion with a, a few people, um, that it's become so commonplace for any professional to have a presence on LinkedIn. So if there's a single network that they're operating on, it's, it's likely to be LinkedIn. And right. in some cases, it might just be having a profile, mm -hmm. you know, not necessarily sharing content, not necessarily engaging, but having a profile. 
And I think we're getting to the point, I'm curious to see if you'd agree, that we're getting to a point where if you do not have a LinkedIn profile, people start wondering if you have something to hide, you know, because you, you're not present. So if, so I, I often give a, an example of, so uh, advisors work with lawyers or CPAs. If, if a lawyer or CPA is going to refer a client to you, mm-hmm. they're going to give your name um, and probably your phone number. But at, I believe at least my generation and, and probably skewing a little bit older as well, Aren't, in, aren't going to be in a rush just to pick up the phone and set a meeting and, and call them and set a meeting right away. Uh, I'm going to do my homework. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine many, many other people want to do their homework. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to type in their name into Google to see more of what they're about on their website or their LinkedIn and, or see what other um, channels they have available for me to at least get a little bit of background um, on on a potential advisor. And I would I would like to believe that advisors are, are doing that with prospects mm-hmm. as well. Absolutely. Well, I don't know how it is in Philadelphia, but I do know how in San Francisco you do not go to a restaurant without checking the Yelp reviews right. in advance. And uh, it's gotten to the point where if I know I'm going to a specific restaurant, I'll look it up on Yelp, and you'll actually start reading through a couple of reviews to find out what, is, what dish I should be ordering <laughs> off the menu. And I can't help but make the, you know, the leap to say if People are taking this much time and spending this much attention to arrive at a restaurant down to the entree choice or appetizer choice. What do you think they're doing when it comes to helping somebody manage, you know, their 401k rollover or helping them with an insurance, you know, uh, premium or trying to work out some way to protect their family? And I'm doing the same thing on Amazon and I'm doing the same thing. We're, we're looking for a, a new car to buy mm-hmm. in the fall and we're doing the same thing and we're, we're doing our homework mm-hmm. um, and that's for a, a one-time buy. Yeah. You're going to walk into the dealership knowing exactly what you want, right. and what color, what model, right. what your options are and probably fall within a, you know, a very narrow range of what you probably can expect to pay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talk about the buyer's journey, and this is something that we've often talked about in some of these presentations where it's talking about how consumer expectations are changing. You have an informed consumer now uh, when it comes to purchasing things like cars, automobiles, this one-time purchase. And I have to imagine that you have gone and done your homework, right? Yeah, we're not walking into a dealership until we know exactly what type, model, model make, and, and what features we want that we may have two or three in mind and we'll go see them just to see how, how spacious they are and, mm-hmm. and how they drive. But, but I, I guess you, you used to walk into a dealership and have to decide between 20 different cars and mm-hmm. we're going to go and decide between two because we've done all the homework from the comfort of our own house. And then it just really becomes uh, an execution, mm-hmm. right, on the transaction right. to get it done and get it delivered. Right. You know, and, and with that in mind and bringing it back to financial services, it's, uh, you know, people being informed and having an idea of what they want to do. I think that's what makes it so important, you know, to have that presence because there is a lot of competition when it comes to information, you know, that people will go and do their own, seek out their own information, uh, find out about funds or find out about strategies. And uh, there's no, there's, there is no shortage of content when it comes to financial services. So, you know, one of the things that we often share is I think one of the biggest roles an advisor can play, and my wife, Kim, as an advisor, as you know, Chris, 
one of the things that she does is uh, she serves almost as this curator of content for her clients that are connected to her uh, on her social profiles or part of her distribution on her email marketing. And part of that is she says, let me do the homework for you. Let me scour the internet for all the important information I think is really valuable to my base uh, so that you don't have to. Uh, you can turn, don't get shocked by watching CNBC or reading the latest Market Watch report. Um, I'm going to be your resource for this information and intelligence. Right. So, but but then in addition to, in addition to the financial content that's out there and and that um, advisors are providing for their connections, that what what will help even more is if the advisor just lets. The, Let's the client in just a little bit more to sh- to see who they are and, mm-hmm. and what they do. Mm-hmm. To that end, we've been utilizing the LinkedIn long form posts mm. um, as a great method of communication, um, especially because LinkedIn will alert all of the connections that mm-hmm. that um, financial advisor X has published a piece on LinkedIn. So we've developed a strategy around using those. Um, in the fall, there was a, a National Financial Advisor Week, so we put the call out to any advisor here at Janney who wanted to write about why they why they have the job that they have, uh, what they've learned in their time as being a financial advisor, and if they if they write two or three short paragraphs, uh, that's all you need mm-hmm. for LinkedIn. We did a, a, another campaign around uh, Women's History Month and women who inspired. Uh, are, are some of our financial advisors. Um, we also, when when uh, sometimes when a recruit comes over to Janney and we know that they have a, a heavy LinkedIn presence, we will um, take some material and and put some of that literature in a long form post showing why, telling why um, they did come over to Janney and 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 what it means to them mm-hmm. um, and what it means for their clients. So just another method of communication yeah. um, to the client base and, and to a prospect base. Well, I'm happy to hear that you're leveraging the long form uh, content on LinkedIn. I gotta tell you, I've been very impressed by just the level of engagement that it gets. And as you said, it cuts through directly to the types of people you want mm-hmm. reading this material. So I've repurposed a number of different blog posts and articles and things that I've written and um, you know, repackaged it, placed it in the long form, you know, giving attribution to the original source um, or where, the, where it's actually uh, placed. And I've always been very impressed by not only the amount of eyes that it gets, because you get a, an indicator that shows how many people actually saw it, right. uh, but how many people like it, and then very impressed how many people actually comment, which is gold when it comes to you know, any sort of uh, content, is you're really looking for people to actually have something to say. Absolutely. <laughs> right, that response and feedback. Uh, so I'm really happy to hear that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. So looking at the bigger picture, um, Chris, and in light of your background and now working here at Janney for the last year and a half, um, if you could crystal ball you know, where you think all this digital technology is going, how do you see it evolving in financial services? Well, social is going to be here. Social at, at this point, I think it's fair to say that it's not going away. Mm-hmm. Um, I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope so. It is not going away. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's hard to predict which other of the the dozens of social networks that pop up every month which will play an impact mm-hmm. on our industry. Uh, but it's I think it's it's fair to say that these three 
um, in LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, we'll we'll be here for the we'll be here for the long haul. Mm-hmm. As a group, you're working on on some of the other avenues of digital technology that, mm-hmm. that we're looking at and we're using on a, on a day-to-day basis and websites and email marketing. Um, I don't know that there's much more that I could suggest to, to your great team over there that are years ahead of me in thinking of um, what the next digital technology is and how to leverage it mm-hmm. in the industry. But yeah, our, our advisors are on social. They are, um, a majority of them have a website of some sort. Uh, and some of them are just starting to dive into the email marketing, and in part, it's because they can see uh, they can see the analytics on it. They can see who opened specific emails, who's clicking on um, the different types of content, um, and then they can better serve their clients by focusing only on the only on the content that that they want to see. Mm-hmm. Well, that's I think that's a, a fair charge. Uh, for hearsay social, and to kind of be um, the uh, cutting edge, if you will, of embracing new technology and such. And I think that, despite the fact that uh, a lot of our customer, the base of our customers, a very large share, happens to be east of the Mississippi, and we, and our second largest office is in New York, where mm-hmm. we serve this market. There is a real advantage, I think, of us being in San Francisco because we're right at the heart where the buzzwords innovation and disruption and challenging mindsets is par for the course. So we learn a lot from the other technology companies that are in and around us. And I think part of uh, what we try to do is you know, take the best of what's being evolved and, and finding ways to you know, immerse this and make it part of the, the fabric of financial services. So um, we might be challenging the industry a little bit, uh, but we really like obviously working with organizations like Danny who is embracing these changes and then is leveraging these changes for not only the betterment, if you will, of their individual um, advisors, but more importantly, the investing public, right, to have that connection and be able to relate and, and really feed off this information that's, that's being shared. So earlier today I was at a conference and um, although the topic of the conversation was meant to be uh, about you know embracing digital technology and changes, quite a bit of the conversation actually focused a lot on the robo-advisor or the threat, if you will, of robo-advisors. And I was just kind of curious, uh, where, where are you at in the robo-advisor conversation? Well, as I, I won't speak for Janny's position, mm-hmm. um, but... Chris Johnson's um, position. That's, that's good. <laughs> is, um, so Chris Johnson's position is, it goes back to one of the first things that we talked about, and that's that this business, I feel, is so relationship-based mm-hmm. that it, I would find it very hard to believe uh, that you'd want to have a relationship with a, or that you could re- have a meaningful and, and trustworthy relationship with a robo-advisor mm-hmm. uh, Sure, I go on Amazon and I'll and I'll buy something for twenty dollars um, off of Amazon. I'll go to Target. My wife will use tar- go to Target and buy clothes for twenty, thirty, forty, fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if we go back to the car conversation, I'm not going to um, go on to and and if it was Amazon for cars and buy a forty five thousand dollar car and then just have it 
dropped off at my doorstep, mm-hmm. um, that that that's where I, I sort of draw a line. Mm-hmm. Um, and then trusting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars with um, with a company, I, I, I think I want that human contact. Sure, there. sure. You know, oftentimes I, 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 I will relate it to the question of how comfortable would you feel getting on a plane knowing that it's being driven by a computer? Oh, zero. No. <laughs> right? That, I mean, and yeah, we that's know... A good, that's a good way to you put know, it. And we yeah. know that, that the aviation industry has evolved to the point where a lot of these planes are being flown, if you will, by, by a computer, but you still want the captain and the first officer. Well, and it'll there. be funny in yeah. 20 years when somebody plays this back to me and I'm, <laughs> while I'm on a plane. Exactly. With, <laughs> being flown by a robot. <laughs> so, <laughs> jot that down. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about being in Silicon Valley. I mean, there's a lot of talk. You know, we have Tesla there and uh, the innovation of the driverless car. And you see these Google cars without an actual driver. And it is a little unnerving uh, because it is more along the lines of the minority report, this futuristic vision of where we're headed. And I think that there's, I think it'll be much more of a challenge for those of us who remember a world, you know, where we would drive our own cars to be able to embrace a world where they're driving themselves. Right. And just to be clear, the car that we're looking to buy, I will be driving. It. Oh, good. <laughs> okay, great. So it'll be behind the wheel. Yes. Okay. Well, that makes that makes me comfortable. Um, so I mean, this this question of the the robovisor direct consumer. I mean, we look at the positives that something like this can bring, um, and I think that that's where the conversation started shifting at this conference, which was around the the area of you know when someone's in the accumulation phase, when they're just really just building their assets. Um, and things are simple, you know, so far as all they have to do is have, you know, a couple of goals, pick a nice model based on risk tolerance, and then just let it set it and forget it and let just let it grow. But things very they, they do change quite a bit, you know, as you bring in, you know, liabilities, uh, be it a house, ownership of a home, student loans, what have you, anywhere where you now have both liabilities and assets. And then the complexity of having a distribution model for retirement. Uh, where you're going to live off the income of your nest egg. Um, I think you need a little bit more hand-holding when that time comes. And so there will be an audience that's probably going to feel very comfortable, I think, working uh, directly with uh, you know, a direct consumer or a robo-advisor. But I think that the value that advisors uh, provide to their clients on a day-to-day basis is, uh, is like I said, akin to the, to the, the airline pilot and making sure that you're going to be okay. You know, you've got someone right. who's behind the wheel. Right. <laughs> Okay, so Chris, if you were in a position uh, to talk to someone who was thinking about getting into financial services, what would you say to them about joining this line of work? So I think what can really help um, some of the uh, some of the advisors now um, as, as one of their focuses is always on the transfer of wealth, mm-hmm. so the transfer of wealth from grandparents to kids or grandkids or, or whatever it may be. Um, is also the transition of, of an advisor's business, an advisor's practice, and, and wanting to ensure um, to the best of their ability that their clients will also be taken care of mm-hmm. um, once they decide that it's it's time for them to retire. Uh, so with, I think, the combination of the, the client transfer of wealth and the advisor uh, transfer of business, um, those next generations on either side um, are going to be very, are going to have to be very active mm-hmm. on social media. Mm-hmm. So I'd say if, if 
if you're an advisor trying to get into the business on the marketing side anyway, which is which is what I can speak to here anyway. Mm-hmm. On the marketing side, I think you want to be uh, as fluent as possible in social media and understand it all and and try and leverage some strategies to to reach out and, and connect with the the younger generations um, so that that when the time comes that the wealth is transferred, you're you're there and, and you're that safety net um, for the kids, for the grandkids. Well, excellent. Well, Chris, I want to thank you on behalf of Hearsay Social and all of us, uh, our whole entire global workforce, for your time today and sharing your thoughts. Uh, if people want to connect with you, uh, if there was any sort of follow-up or so, what would be the best way for them to reach out? Um, you can reach me on Twitter. Um, so I have my Twitter account is C as in Chris, C Johnson underscore Janney. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's a can be a lot there. C Johnson underscore Janney. Uh, many of our, our advisors and staff who are on Twitter have that have that underscore Janney or underscore JMS mm-hmm. at the end of their handles just to to help with the branding. Um, and then of course our our, our I. Um, I should mention our Janny Twitter handle is mm-hmm. Janny1832. Uh, we have a corporate Facebook page. We have a corporate LinkedIn page as well, and it's as it's as simple as searching. Okay, so I have to ask the 1832. Is that when it got founded, yes. or is that okay? Yes. I was trying to understand uh-huh. what the 1832. Great. It's been a long time. <laughs> it has been a long time. <laughs> Look, and you're embracing the digital technology and all the changes. So see, even a company that's been around for nearly 200 years, can embrace change. All right, so thank you so much, Chris. And Thank you uh, for having me. Uh, this, was, this was fun. <laughs> it was fun. All right, let's go get a cheesesteak. There we go. Okay, so here in Philadelphia, it gives me a great thrill to introduce everybody to J.P. Cummins, who uh, has been working out for Jenny for quite some time. Terrific to be here. Thank you very much for uh, for having me. Well, I'm excited just from the standpoint that um, I think this might be the first time we actually have a real financial advisor, someone that uh, is familiar with the Hearsay Social platform, but is out there in the streets working, if you will, for their clients, really uh, improving their lives. And so I really just wanted to get started by asking you to share a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, and what got you into this business? Well, uh, basically, I've been working as a financial advisor for a little bit over uh, 34 years. I started when I was 10. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah. uh, Janney was right. the, second, the second company that I, I worked for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, again, I've been at this, at this particular firm for uh, 11 and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the work that I do and have been doing uh, over those years is uh, working as um, uh, mainly a wealth uh, advisor, wealth management advisor, and an awful lot of retirement planning. Mm-hmm. And again, the reason that is is because of the market that I work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, uh, the folks that I deal with typically have great retirement planning needs. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, again, the, the business and the, the type of work that they do, uh, there are many opportunities that exist where um, they need to think about retirement almost irrespective of their age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a very important aspect of their planning. 
So I get called in. That's uh, that's the role that I play on the team. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. And we met a, a couple years ago, and I think that part of what got you on my radar was the fact that um, you were an early adopter in embracing digital technology, very specifically working with social platforms. And so I was kind of curious, being in the industry for 34 years, and I'm sure seeing the evolved process of the industry where it took us a while to embrace email, and now we bring into social. What was it about social media that attracted you in being able to connect with your clients? Well, when I started in the business, of course, social media was really relegated to a lot of uh, uh, hieroglyphics. Uh, we were uh, carving uh, uh, on stone tablets. Uh, it was it was a different time, to say the least. But um, uh, dealing with um, with people over a, a long period of time, uh, what winds up happening is we have generational. Uh, introductions. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll be dealing with clients uh, that I was initially dealing with 30 some odd years ago, and today I'm dealing with kids and, in many cases, grandkids. Wow. Okay. And so uh, if anybody has kids or grandkids uh, today, um, I think it's, uh, it's pretty evident and um, um, uh, universal that uh, the kids like to communicate mm-hmm. a certain way, mm-hmm. and social media is a, a very important part of their everyday lives. Mm-hmm. So I figured in this particular business, since it's all about working with not just the clients, but the generations that come both before and after, uh, we need to be able to communicate mm-hmm. with everybody. Mm-hmm. And so uh, social media, of course, uh, was a way in which I recognized uh, would be very important mm-hmm. to communicate with with all generations, but especially the uh, uh, the kids and grandkids that I'm, I'm dealing with right now. So. <laughs> and when social media became an option for you to use it, did you, did you immediately see that that would be an opportunity to be able to connect with the multi-generations that you work with? Absolutely, because I saw that this is the way uh, way everybody was communicating. Mm-hmm. I saw the evolution of that. And, of course, it also is very helpful to have children myself mm-hmm. and to be able to see firsthand uh, what, the, what the communication and what, what communications were all about and, and how they were evolving mm-hmm. and how people were communicating with each other um, uh, uh, coming up, as I say, through through the millennial mm-hmm. generations that we have currently. Mm-hmm. So. And where we see it being very effective and it works well is uh, those advisors or those practices that have a very uh, defined either niche or a focus area. Has that helped you uh, as far as using social media and trying to focus with a specific demographic or specific group of interest? Yeah, for a lot of the uh, people that I deal with, um, they're uh, very savvy mm-hmm. with technology and with media, and in many cases, they're in those particular businesses. Mm-hmm. So what happens is uh, they're very knowledgeable, and uh, when it comes to an advisor of any sort, whether it's um, uh, financial or legal or, in many cases, medical, uh, banking, whatever the relationship may be, uh, I find that uh, this particular group of clients mm-hmm. uh, appreciates those who are advising them and working with them to also be able to communicate with them in a way in which they see uh, it most attractive and, and easiest and most convenient mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the client is and the customer is always right. Mm-hmm. So we have to listen to that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and that was part of uh, 
I shared with you the advisor of the future executive report, which is something we've been talking about. And uh, one of the things that's very important about the, the, the executive report is the fact that the customer it seems to be more and more in control now in managing, if you will, the process and making selections of who they're going to work with, uh, what products they buy. They're, they're much more informed today. Um, so to that end, I was kind of curious, what do you think differentiates you uh, from other advisors? Well, a big part of it, of course, is knowing how to communicate via social media. That's for sure. <laughs> that is a, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing because, uh, un unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, uh, a lot of people in my business have just uh, not, uh, have decided, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, not to learn mm -hmm. and not to adopt or adapt. And quite frankly, it, it reminds me a little bit of, from my, my days of, of studying uh, in science, the dinosaurs, mm -hmm. uh, I know what happened, mm -hmm. uh, as we all do, to creatures that did not adapt. Mm -hmm. So uh, I did not want to be one of those particular, uh, one of those particular creatures. Mm -hmm. So we had to learn, and um, as I say, I think people appreciate that uh, uh, very much. So communication is really very, very important. Uh, and of course, you know, in addition, it's knowledge about particular industries, particular um, interests and areas of concern mm -hmm. for the market that I do deal with. Mm -hmm. So being very, very sensitive to that and addressing those issues uh, in, a, in a meaningful fashion. Mm -hmm. And of course, being able to communicate it effectively. Mm -hmm. Well, you said a key word is that adaptation, if you will, in the evolved process. Uh, Brian Solis, who's one of the principal analysts at the Altimeter Group, and I often quote him in saying he termed it digital Darwinism. And the whole concept behind that is it's not the strongest who survive, it's those who are willing to adapt and make a change. Um, so you mentioned that in working in a multi-generational you know, focus, if you will, so working with the, uh, the, the client and perhaps their children, their grandchildren. So we're talking about multiple generations. And I have to imagine that part of that uh, leads to you working with millennials. And so I'm just kind of curious, uh, in light of the fact that they're going to constitute a large share of the workforce in the next five to ten years or so, what is it that makes them different? Well, a huge, uh, a huge uh, element or characteristic for that particular generation is um, the fact that they're going to be uh, inheriting mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of wealth. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to that, uh, most millennials that I know uh, are extremely creative people, mm -hmm. uh, are very interested in uh, determining their own des destiny, and I see many of them becoming extremely, if they aren't already, extremely successful with uh, whatever their particular uh, area of expertise or endeavor or interest are. So uh, from the financial advisory standpoint, uh, by golly, that's the highway that you better be on because if you're not, um, you're going to be roadkill. Uh, so, um, so we like to be able to, again, uh, effectively communicate what services we do have to offer with that particular group. And uh, again, most of the uh, younger people that I deal with, when I talk to them, we, we establish a relationship. I say, how would you like to be communicated with? Mm -hmm. They don't tell me, give me a call on the phone. <laughs> Most of them don't even say email. They mm -hmm. don't want to be, get an email. <laughs> what they want is a text. Uh -huh. They want a text message, sure. uh, which of course has its own issue and compliant um, uh, challenges. But uh, this, uh, again, is a different way of communication 
you have to adapt to it. And even though we may not necessarily be sending lots of text messages out to everybody, uh, we certainly uh, have to listen mm -hmm. and then explain how it is that we are able to work. And, and as I say, uh, all the people I deal with certainly understand mm -hmm. uh, the complexities of, um, of being able to communicate in the proper fashion. So having worked in the industry for 34, 34 years, and I know you started when you were 10 years old, Yes. Um, and in light of the challenges and, and the new tools, if you will, of being able to work in this industry, what would you say to someone who's thinking about getting into this industry and doing the work that you're doing? I think a very important um, perspective that anybody in any industry needs these mm -hmm. days is to explore and do the research, do the homework, mm -hmm. find out about the business, find out how it works. I mean, again, with social media, with the internet, we have so much material, so mm -hmm. much uh, available content to study that you can do some fantastic research. Mm -hmm. And after you do that research, um, and still determine that this is something you want to pursue, uh, another, another step to take, or maybe a next step to take, would be maybe to uh, learn from those who are in the business. Mm -hmm. Approach somebody in the business and say, would you mind very much if I ask you some questions? Uh, if they decide that they have some time and, and want to entertain that, uh, that, sort of, um, that sort of activity, then I think you could gather some unbelievably uh, attractive and important and potentially decision-making information mm -hmm. to decide whether you want to go even further in the pursuit of the business. It's an extremely rewarding business. Um, uh, if you, um, again, enjoy working with people and like to see the, the fruit of your labor in uh, members of your neighborhood or members of society or members of uh, the human race <laughs> uh, being successful and happy and able to enjoy productive and uh, enjoyable lives, uh, extremely rewarding. There's uh, nothing else to, uh, to recommend. I don't, I don't know that I could have said that any better, JP. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your thoughts about digital transformation in the financial services industry. And you know, keep doing the work that you're doing and uh, doing what you can for your clients. Thank you very much for having me and uh, wish you much continued success. With you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that was our interview with both Chris and also with JP. Um, always a great time uh, to go out and visit with our clients and sit down and, and have these conversations, both obviously having two different perspectives from the standpoint that Chris uh, was not originally from the financial services industry. As a matter of fact, it really worked well that he had uh, worked in sports talk radio. Yeah, so, well, you know, he had you the know, experience. You can hear that right away, yeah. Yeah, he can uh, certainly carry. Probably teach us a couple things. I think so. I think so. So that, that, that made the interview, you know, much easier. But uh, insofar as what he had to say, I thought it was great how, you know, making the point that, uh, you know, it's a evolved process of discovery and growth when it comes to social. I really, really like the story of that one advisor he had just spoken to that morning that upon discovering how, just how easy it is really to set up their profiles and start using social, that he asked the question, which we always say, why isn't everybody using it, right? Right. So, you know, there is definitely an advantage to being an early adopter. And I think what's really helping the folks at Janney is that, uh, as he mentioned, is that they're offering 10 pieces of content almost daily to that content library. And so, sure. as you and I both know, and as everybody who works in social gets to know, just how important it is to have 
a lot of content and it's not just their marketing stuff it's not just the stuff from their organization but you know they're putting in third-party validated thought leadership pieces from bloomberg and reuters and you know they really take advantage of the fact that they've got some very smart people at jenny let's uh, let's show it off by our, our social distribution right right um i think the other thing too uh, and taking a look at the conversation specific with chris was just the fact that that whole idea of uh, even in his own experience is just this informed public and how we're all making decisions when it comes to purchasing products and services and that we're taking to the web and mobile devices and our smartphones to do a lot of the homework in advance. So he shared, as we often do, the process of buying a car. Right. And then I shared, you know, how here in San Francisco, and I'm sure it's across the country, people are using Yelp. Exactly. I mean, do you use, do you use oh, Yelp? Oh, yeah. Like? I mean... You don't, no one really just goes to a restaurant anymore and just wings it and, well, we'll see how it is. You mm -hmm. know, you, no one watches a movie that way any, anymore either. That's you, true. You kind of, you take from the experiences of others and third-party endorsement is always, you know, the way that businesses are finding the most success. So if you're <laughs> going to a restaurant, you want to see what the Yelp reviews are. Is there one star? Why is that a one star? Is it a five star, et cetera, you know, mm -hmm. and, and really kind of take into account people's comments. Which is why it's placing so much more uh, of uh, an importance, if you will, on the marketing team, on the folks that help with the promotions on right. either the website development or your social profiles to make it very clear for those people who are shopping around, who are kind of poking around the website to understand exactly who you are, you know, what value you add and, and why they should be working with you. And then in the conversation with J.P. Cummins, it was really fascinating in light of the fact that he's been working in this industry for 34 years and yet he is embracing this new technology, and you can look at him really as a poster child of that um, connected, wired advisor, someone who really is embracing new technology and evolving through the process. I mean, he's had the foresight and vision to see, hey, this is how I'm going to connect with my clients. And since he serves not only you know his clients, but in some cases the children and the grandchildren of his clients, he understands this is how I'm going to get to them because they're not answering their phones. And, and in some cases, as he mentioned, they're not even opening up those emails. Yeah. So you have to find a way to cut through to get to uh, to these uh, prospects or to these clients that you're working with, especially when you look at uh, how many of these younger clients are really moving towards mobile devices and texting, if you will, as, as a way to uh, connect. I think the quote that I took away is he goes, it's, it's a highway and, and you want to be on that highway. If not, you're going to be roadkill. Right. So, you know, I like that. Very, yeah. very clear. So those were my uh, two conversations during the visit to uh, Philadelphia. Really enjoy getting out to Philadelphia. I'm actually going to be out there this summer with the family. So nice. Going to be there for the 4th of July. So Very nice. looking forward to celebrating our uh, nation's birthday, if you will, right, right where it all got started. So we've got plans to be out there right on the 4th of July for a couple of days. And it'll be nice to get out there with the family and actually get to enjoy the city. Uh, not necessarily having doing interviews or so, but just having some fun. Right. Um, so I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, getting out on the road. Uh, once again, I'm going to be heading out to uh, Toronto next week for the uh, Digital Marketing for Financial Services Summit that's taking place out there. So I'm um, hoping to, uh, you know, record, if you will, something while we're out there, at least take a look at the content, come back and share that with the rest of the group. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you can hear any sort of background noise, but there's a lot of buzz in the office this week uh, because we've got a very oh, special yeah. event taking place. It's our third annual Innovation Summit. And so we have a number of uh, thought leaders from the Valley and from San Francisco who are going to be sharing their thoughts on innovation and disruption. We talk about all these buzzwords that are part of Silicon Valley and San Francisco and looking how, you know, what's happening in the industries across the board 
as it relates to technology and then finding ways that how that applies to financial services. So I know you've been working a lot on this, Eli. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's been keeping us all pretty busy. A lot, so. of, a lot of hours, but it's, it's going to be so worth it. It's, I'm really excited for the speakers we have and the attendees list is just fantastic. I was taking a look at the agenda. We have about three or four fireside chats with some uh, pretty heavy hitters oh, yeah. across uh, multiple industries. So uh, that'll be a lot of fun. And then uh, for those of you that would like to follow along with the tweets, you can follow hashtag SBIS15. So Social a, Business Innovation Summit. Most of the events and facilities are going to take place on Wednesday. So follow along uh, SBIS15 and uh, check out what we're talking about. Okay, so as we're closing off, before we go, uh, let's see, anything in the mailbag? Nothing in the mailbag today, but you can fix that by emailing us at uh, onair, O-N-A-I-R, onair, at hearsaycorp.com. Shoot <laughs> us your questions. You know, it's funny, today we had tacos for lunch, and I always think back to that first question we got from Mika the about the taco, taco and the grilled cheese. Grilled cheese yeah. yeah, so once again, <laughs> you can ask us just about anything, and that, if you go back to... Uh, what was it, episode 42, I believe? Uh, you'll get a good sense of the kinds of questions we'll take, so <laughs> take a listen to that. Um, also, following along on HS on Air Bingo for all the words that we say. Excited. I think that's my top word. Excited, and yours is absolutely right. Absolutely. Right. right. <laughs> so that's always a good time. When I wake up... Uh, you know what this means, Eli. I do. It's time for Ronnie Walk. Okay, so once again, if you're following along, uh, Ronnie and the hashtag Ronnie Walk, our good friend Ronnie Kerr continues his westward journey crossing the state of Missouri. And so I was uh, tracking along his progress for the last couple of weeks. He's really booking. He's almost at Kansas City. So he was just recently in Independence, uh, Missouri. Prior to that, he has been following what they call, I guess, the Katy Trail. Uh-huh which uh, kind of hugs, I think, the Missouri uh, River, I want to say. All right. Uh, but anyway, last couple of towns he's been in, Higginsville and Marshall, Arrow Rock and Boonville, starting off his journey. I think the last time we did a check-in, he was at Defiance, Missouri. So he should be approaching Kansas City within the next couple of days. And then from there, he's in Kansas and continues his hashtag West, always West. We'll keep posting pictures and updates, if you will, on our Facebook page. So I want to thank you all for following along with Ronnie. I know, you know, that he's in tune with the fact that we're sharing his progress and sharing the maps and the things that he's up to. So uh, we'll keep encouraging him to share some of his stories. But uh, Ronnie, keep on going. Hashtag West always West. <laughs> and uh, that's uh, Ronnie Walk. Okay, so episode 44 is just coming to a quick close here. Just wanted to uh, thank Chris and JP once again for taking the time in Philadelphia to sit down with me, share their thoughts on digital technology and social, what they're doing really to make a difference in their organizations and in JP's case, what he's doing in his, in his practice really to connect with his clients and uh, future prospects. So I really, really enjoy those conversations. You know, it puts me right back into that uh, that mode of working as an advisor and right. such. And, and Eli, if you ever get a chance, we get out to Philadelphia, you got to check out these offices at, at Johnny. Oh, yeah? oh, beautiful. All beautiful. Right. I mean, 
you know, it's not like I said in the podcast, it's not that total like bookcase-ish looking mahogany desk. Right. Dark wood. A little more modern. Yeah. Oh, really open, sleek. You feel like you can breathe. And they've got beautiful views of Philadelphia up, you know, a couple of floors up, uh, you know, more than a couple. I think 17th, 18th, 19th floor. So you're up to getting a good view. Um, as a matter of fact, you could see the uh, the gallery, and and some of you may recall from the movie Rocky, where Rocky kind of goes up the steps. You can right. see that yeah, yeah. from their office. So it's always a good time to get out to Philadelphia. So I really want to thank them for uh, for for the opportunity to sit out with them. And once again, if I hit it out on the road and and have an opportunity, I always carry the digital recorder with me, hoping to capture, if you will, some good audio and things that we can share with all our listeners. But I, for one, just want to thank everybody for uh, continuing to listen. We had a great month in May with a lot of thought leadership and a bunch of discussions. I had a good time yeah. in the two episodes that we had it with our New York staff. That was a lot of fun. And um, we're looking forward to a really strong June schedule and things that will carry us into the summer. So thanks for listening. And so once again, I'm Victor Gaxiola. And I'm Eli Miniker. We'll see you next time.